Hey, everybody, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Dave Pash Podcast with your host, Dave Pash, ESPN broadcaster and Arizona Cardinals play-by-play announcer. I want to thank you guys so much for checking out Episode number 1 with Hall of Famer Kurt Warner. Had great response from you, the listeners, all the downloads, the promotion we got from the Arizona Cardinals on their Twitter page, at Cardinals, as well as the website, azcardinals.com. Big thank you to all my uh, friends in the broadcasting business and the sports world for all the likes and the retweets. You can check out everything there is to know about the Dave Pash podcast, information on previous episodes, on upcoming episodes, on our Twitter page, at PashPod. We uh, also have some new presenting sponsors, BetMGM and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. BetMGM is the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And once legalized sports betting launches here in Arizona, BetMGM plans to open retail sports books at the three Arizona Gila River properties, as well as State Farm Stadium, which of course is home to the Cardinals. So we kicked off the Dave Pash podcast with Kurt Warner, a former player. Today we're going to visit with a current player, All-Pro Safety Buddha Baker. And if you've ever been told, hey, you're too small, you don't look the part, then you'll be able to appreciate Buddha's story. Undersized, passed over at one point, now an ascending star in the National Football League. His given name is Bashard. He was nicknamed Buddha by his mom and aunt when he was a child, and the name stuck. He grew up in the state of Washington, outside of Seattle, and in this podcast, he talks about being recruited to the University of Washington and what then-head coach Chris Peterson did that impressed him enough to stay home despite offers to play elsewhere in the Pac-12, including with his best friend. Buddha also discusses his NFL career, why he's tired of the Cardinals being quote-unquote average. He discusses holding teammates accountable and in what area Kyler Murray has improved his game the most. Baker talks about preparing to become a father and why there's a game in December that has a big red circle around it on the calendar. How American Sign Language has opened new doors for relationships and what question one team asked him before draft day that made him really, really uncomfortable. So here we go. Episode 2 of the Dave Pash Podcast with All-Pro Safety, Buda Baker. Buda Baker, fifth year in the NFL, second-round pick by the Cardinals, already two-time first-team All-Pro and three-time Pro Bowler. You're such a great player, but you have such a great story, Buda, so I want to go back to your childhood. When did you first fall in love with football? Oh, man, I think by the age of about 12 you know, I was a big soccer guy growing up, played soccer, um, just watched football on TV, played soccer, you know, basketball, track, but I really liked soccer. So growing up, I was a soccer player. Then finally, you know, my, my family put me in uh, youth football over in Bellevue, Newport Knights, and uh, that's all she wrote from there. So why the transition from soccer to football? Was it because physicality? You could hit somebody? Oh, yeah, a little bit of that. You know, <laughs> soccer was always my love, but football, exactly what you said, the physicality, you can hit people. You know, of course, you got to hit them the correct way, and I knew that growing up at a young age. So just being able to, you know, hit somebody and it be totally legal is 
great with me. <laughs> so soccer, football, any other sports? You play basketball at all? Growing, uh, up? growing up when I was young, I played basketball, but I ran track. You know, ran track when I was young. Did the select national, you know, track teams. And then in high school, ran a little bit of track. Didn't really practice much, but we ran it, ran <laughs> track, and it was fun. So were you a Sonics fan? Like my first year doing NBA for ESPN, my first game was a Sonics-Lakers game in 2006. And that was, I think, I think they left two years after that because KD got there, and they, when Russ got drafted, he got drafted by Seattle, but they were moving. So it was around the time at the end of their tenure there in Seattle. And I'm guessing at that point you were probably 11 – 10 years old so were you a big sonics fan at that point uh, not really you know like you said i was nine ten years old but uh i was a big player fan i like guys like of course the ray allen shootings you know he's the steph yep. curry of the modern day um uh ai allen iverson just loved the way he played 100 percent each and every play offense and defense and uh yeah i like guys like that you were saying off the air before we started this that you're a big LeBron fan. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Have you met LeBron? Yeah, I met LeBron, met AD. They were good guys, crazy tall. Uh, but it was cool just seeing their relationship as, you know, friends and brothers. They were laughing, joking around. They're, they were just like kids, you know. <laughs> First time I think I realized how big LeBron was. You remember Ben Wallace? Yeah. He was on Cleveland. This is when LeBron was early on in his career. And when I saw LeBron standing next to Ben Wallace, who was so big, and like you always thought about Ben Wallace as a muscle-bound rebounder, and LeBron was bigger than him. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So when you see LeBron, I mean, he's 6'9", 255, exactly. 260. Exactly. I mean, it's like – And running, running – Fast, like real a freight fast. Train. Exactly what you said. It's 255, guy 6'5. Man, I just have so much respect for him, just what he does on each team, every team he's on. Why Allen Iverson? You said AI. What yeah, was it AI about him? just, man, I love the way that crossover was crazy. I love, you know, him crossing people over, making them go the other way, and how his quickness, you know, I'm, I would like to think I'm kind of a quick guy. So just seeing that quickness in and out of that you know, step when he crosses somebody over and just the way he played, the swag he had. And, um, you know, he kind of he kind of put on for the guys with the longer shorts nowadays because back then the the shorts were a little higher. But, yep. you know, he, he kind of sagged them a little bit, had the wristbands, the finger bands, the headbands. I like that. What was your recruitment like? Because not only were you a really good high school player, but you won. 14-0, yeah. I think three straight years, right? Three straight yeah. uh, state titles. What exactly. was your recruitment like? Were you heavily recruited? Did you always know you were going to go to Washington? Yeah, I mean, I was heavily recruited. The whole Pac-12 besides, of course, Stanford, the great Stanford that you <laughs> had to have a 3.6 or something. I had like 3.2, so it wasn't good enough for them. But, you know, I was heavily rec recruited, Pac-12, SEC. And for me, it was kind of – I knew kind of I was going to stay home. My best friend at the time was Miles Jack. He plays now for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he was committed to UCLA, and he played there. He was a grade above me. So I almost went to UCLA just because of that relationship with him, but I knew right when I would get there he was he was one year and done. So mm -hmm. for me, I just wanted to put it on myself and who did I think was the best opportunity for me school and football-wise and University of Washington bringing in Chris Peterson from Boise State at the time and his staff. I just really loved those guys. And Jimmy Lake, who's now the head coach at UW, he was my DB coach. And, man, he was a great guy, knew football. And I would like to say he helped me a lot 
when I got into the league because we were already kind of running, you know, NFL defenses in college. So going to the league, I kind of didn't really miss a step. I was going to ask you about Jimmy. What is the biggest challenge you think that he faces? Because it's not just about Washington right now in the Pac-12. It, it's about relevance. It's about getting in the college football playoff, which has been an issue for the Pac-12. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Pac-12, they just he just got to go undefeated each and every year, you know. <laughs> we went to the college football playoff, thankfully, and I think we lost a game to USC that year, And but we were Pac-12 champions, and, you know, all that stuff matters. But, you know, for him, I feel like they always have the team each and every year. They just got to put it together, and especially with these last, you know, couple years with COVID, you know, it's definitely hard. So, you know, we'll see how he does. You know, I haven't talked to him in a while, but I, I, I plan to talk to him, you know, soon. Do you have a story from when you were being recruited? Was there any one particular coach that you thought was a certain way and that surprised you or any crazy story that you have that uh, you can share? I mean, crazy story, maybe not. But, you know, with Chris Peterson, I just remember he, he kept a photo of me in his wallet um, because he knew that, me being a hometown guy, he his biggest thing that was on his mind was to try and get me to stay home because he knew that would kind of be a triple effect. So that was a crazy story. And then just them coming to my house, they were great people, just how genuine they were. You know, for me, it was definitely easy to see the genuine people versus the people that would, you know, kind of car salesman type of coaches yeah. and guys like that. So with UW, everyone was so genuine. They told me the truth, of course, you know, told me right on, like, you're not just going to start right away. You're going to work your way up to the top. And, you know, that's what I did my freshman year. Were you upset then when you didn't get picked in the first round? What was your reaction when the Cardinals traded up, though, to get you early in the second round? Yeah, I definitely thought I was a first-round pick. I definitely thought I was the best safety coming out. But for me, you know, the negative thing about me was my size and my height and I knew I can't really do anything about that going into my, you know, at the time, my true junior year after that season playing Alabama, had a great game, you know, lost to them. But the biggest things was your height and your size and can't really change that. So for me, I knew I wanted to go out and I knew all it takes is one team. So for me, as soon as I get my foot in the door, I felt like I was going to take that opportunity. And for the Cardinals to trade up for me, that was definitely special because, that showed me that they really, you know, wanted to get me when a team trades up for you. So I was definitely excited and happy. I didn't think I was going to go to the Cardinals just because of, you know, the players they kind of had. So for me to get drafted by them, it was definitely excited. And uh, definitely my rookie year learned a lot from those guys. Did you meet with the Cardinals at all? Or was it a complete shock because you didn't really know anybody in the organization? No, I met with like 28 teams at the combine which was definitely hard because you have those 15 minute interviews each and every day I feel like I had like 12 interviews in one night and that was like very tolling of course with having to run the 40s and the benches and all that type of stuff but that's all for you know your mental they do that for a reason they want to see who can you know still comprehend those things and still you know show out on the field once it's time to go on the field and you know, I met with Cardinals and they were great. I met, you know, at the time it was B.A. and Steve and, you know, those guys and they were all cool and it was it was great. Any 
strange question from any of those interviews? Anything you remember that you're like, man, I can't believe that dude just asked me that. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the Bengals. The Bengals, uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I go in, and first of all, when you go in, usually guys, like, you know, they greet you and stuff. But when I went in there, that everyone was just quiet and staring at me. And I was just like, hey, how you guys doing? <laughs> just some guys looking at me. And then uh, first question was, what is 40% of 200? I was like, you know, I kind of checked that. Like, I was kind of, you know, I didn't really know I was going to get a question like that. <laughs> I'm like nervous. I'm like, okay, 40. It's running through my yeah, mind. Like, like, what's 40% of 200? <laughs> well, I better get it right. Yeah, I'm worried about my plays, like making sure, you know, what's under, over, like making sure I know my defenses and stuff. And the first question is what's 40% of 200? So That's not the weirdest thing the Bengals have done, but that's uh, we'll have a whole podcast on that, maybe with A.J. Green at yeah, some point or Carson exactly. when we get him on. <laughs> so you're the second highest paid safety in the NFL now with Justin Simmons getting his deal. Yeah. Um, Recently, you have the, the Madden ranking, the ESPN ranking, the, the Pro Football Focus ranking, which uh, I assume you want to hit on that. <laughs> How did they come up with number 16? That's you know, what I want to know. You know, for me, it's just like I just feel like someone over there doesn't like me. Um, they said I, I'm my, my coverage grade is like a 60% or and I gave up five touchdowns last year. And it's just like, man, where are you getting this stuff? But those are guys' opinions, guys who, you know, I don't know if they played the game of football or not. I don't know if they know our defenses, they know our playbooks, and they know, you know, who's getting scored on who and what stuff. But, you know, I kind of just let that go in one ear and out the other. I definitely was kind of disrespected when I saw that. But at the end of the day, it's their opinions. It's a free world. They can have their opinions. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just keep showing out each and every week. Just keep doing what you do. Exactly. Uh, you, you change your number this year to number three, which makes my job harder. I've had to relearn the roster. I'm like looking at it like, who's number three? Oh, that's Buddha. <laughs> and, you know, doing co do college football every week. So I'm used to seeing like a defensive lineman wearing number six. But now it's in the NFL. And so it's – I know obviously that's far from anything you're concerned with. But why the number three? You wore 32 in high school and then 36 here with the Cardinals. Why did you change to yeah. number three? I mean, of course, I wore 36 with the Cardinals and then was able to wear 32 again. But for me, it was just kind of having my own number. You know, first time they ever let DBs and people wear single-digit numbers. So for me, I, I already knew I was going to try and use that to take that number and play on defense. So just a number no other defensive back and Cardinals here has had. And, you know, hopefully I can do great things with that number and see those see that number in the Raptors someday. What, uh, for fans that are listening to this uh, going into the season, what do you think will be different about the defense of this year? You know, in the beginning of camp, I just try to talk to guys and just say, like, we're very average these last four years, and I don't want to be average anymore. I'm done with being average. So when I see things that are average on the field, I'm going to be talking to you about it. Everybody just being held accountable of things and just let guys know we're brothers at the end of the day. But if you mess up something, I'm going to get on you about it. Just like if I mess up something, you should get on me about it. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to be at the top. And all the guys being held accountable of things on the defense and getting into their playbooks and understanding, you know, defenses. Because we were a game short last year and we were a way better defense than what we showed last year. So this year... Everyone being held accountable, taking it day by day, not looking at what's in four weeks or five weeks, but one week at a time, one day at a time. And things are going to be special, so we'll see. 
we've heard a lot about the focus of Steve Kime was to bring in more leadership, be more physical. Have you noticed a difference in the locker room in terms of leadership with some of the additions and without naming names, some of the subtractions, guys yeah. that aren't here anymore? I mean, there's definitely leadership, you know, on the defense, leadership on the team. And, you know, Steve Kime and the staff has done a great job of bringing good guys in and guys that want to learn and guys that, you know, want to have those leadership qualities and have those leadership qualities and has done great things in the NFL. So, you know, for us, we're just so excited. And like I said, we're just all being taken accountable, being held accountable and want to get better each and every day. So that's all that matters. I know it's early in camp, but just I'm curious, based on conversations you've had with some of the young guys or what you've seen in practice or even going back to minicamp, is there a player that maybe we're not thinking about that we need to have our eyes on here? Oh, I mean, I think there's a bunch of players, you know, especially with, I mean, these young draft picks, these young guys, all these guys are really good guys. They want to be coached. They want to learn. And, you know, I give tremendous respect you know, for these young guys, because a lot of young guys, when they get drafted, they kind of think they're, you know, the SHIT and they just don't want to do, you know, they don't want to do things. They don't want to do the hard things. But with all these young guys, they want to work. They want to get better. And I'm excited for, of course, there's Zavin, Isaiah, who's in his second year. And um, I'm just excited for this defense. Chandler coming back. It's it's going to be special. Do you like camp? Do you like to come to training camp? And there are players who don't like it they would rather just get to the preseason games or even just get to the regular season I work with Ron Wolfley I mean he loved camp he loved the hitting he loved the he was doing three days then yeah do you enjoy it I'm not saying I love camp but I'll <laughs> say I embrace it yeah you know you, I embrace the grind you kind of embrace the suck in a sense and <laughs> this this camp of course there's guys you're able to go home you know so I'm able to go home each and every night get my good meals, my good stretches, and come back the next morning and, and work, you know, my ASS off. So, man, I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited. Embrace the suck. I think I'm going to use that. When I get, like, an assignment that I don't like, <laughs> hey, you're doing this game this week, I'm going to be like, I just got to embrace exactly. the suck. Got to just embrace it. J.J. Watt, what was your first impression when he walked in? Man, big guy, you know, tall, long, uh, strong. Saw him in the weight room a little, strong, loves, you know, kind of – a meathead in a type of sense <laughs> when I see J.J. Watt. But a guy who's a great guy, loves to work, and I'm excited to have him on our team. What about A.J. Green? Because it's somebody that when I sat down with Cliff, he brought up A.J. unsolicited. And just watching A.J. in camp, it's noticeable that this guy still has it. What have you seen? Of course, like you said, I mean, he's in the, he's in the great A.Z. Sunny hot every day it's beautiful he still has that juice still has that burst speed that where he can go deep but also that speed where he can go deep and then sit it down real quick and a one-two punch so having him and d-hop is special just for k1 having those weapons and then especially you know kurt in the slot he's fast and the new additions that we have as well fast guys can get in and out of their breaks and i'm excited for this offense for sure but AJ, like he said, he still has that juice. He can break on a dime, catch the ball, and I'm excited to see what he can do with the Cardinals. Anything that stands out to you about Kyler Murray that's different? Oh, for me, I feel like his arm strength is 
definitely better. Um, he's always had great arm strength, but, you know, there's one time in practice he's rolling all the way to the right sideline and he flicks the ball to D-hop and it's like a 55-yard throw in the middle of the field across his body. So, And it's a dart. So um, his arm strength, his accuracy has always been good, which gets better each and every year, but that arm strength is special. You've made so many big-time plays in a short time in the NFL, but it seems like from a national perspective, the play that everybody talks about is the DK Metcalf play. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you get asked about that a ton. Yep. I mean, is there an interview you do or a person you talk to that doesn't bring it up, that just talks about you? No, not one interview since <laughs> that's happened has, you know, been, a, been something about me. But, of course, I mean, it was a play. It was a good play on him, but, you know, great play on me. They were in the red zone. They had three automatically, try to go fast, long series, get the interception, take it all the way to whatever yard line, get the chance for the offense to get points on the board. And ultimately, we won that game. Now, if we lost that game, you know, that would have been a spectacular play by him. But we won the game, so your play, <laughs> it's whatever. Your play went longer in terms of winning the game for the Cardinals than his play did in terms of impacting the exactly. Seahawks. Exactly. Which- is what matters most. So looking at this season with the Seahawks and the Rams and the 49ers, do you feel like there is a a team that's more of a rival than another? I I know that you probably have to say we respect every team, but is there one team, and maybe it's Seattle because you're from there, that like you hate and you can't wait to to get on the field with them? I mean, honestly, it's Every team in the NFC West, I don't like. You know, I just want to <laughs> beat them. Um, of course, like you said, Seattle. I love to go against them because that's a hometown team and a team that, you know, I, I know a lot of the guys on that team. So I always like to compete with those guys. And definitely, when we win those games, I'm able to come home and just, you know, we're able to laugh at those type of situations. But I would say the Rams as well, just because we haven't beat them, and I really want to, you know get that opportunity again to play them because we got to get over that hump. They've just been a team that's had our numbers for, you know, ever since I've been here. So try to, you know, beat the Rams for sure. Larry Wilson, Adrian Wilson, Pat Tillman, Tyron Matthew, you're in that conversation. And great list of safeties that have played for the Cardinals. How, how does that make you feel? Are you familiar with those guys? I mean, obviously Ty, but do you remember Adrian when he played? Larry Wilson, I mean, all I know is the guy played with broken hands. Like, I'm too young to remember Larry when he played. But, (laughs) you know, obviously he was a legend. Exactly. I'm a 96 baby, so I'm way too young (laughs) for that. But um, uh, Adrian Wilson, hard hitter guy, um, guy who played corner as well. So versatility. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's Tyron Matthew, who's my stature can you know it's versatile as well and over there doing really good with the Chiefs and for me it's just you know I don't really let that get to my head right now going into year five I'm just trying to be the best I can as a person player and you know we'll talk about that when I'm out of this game so for me I'm just focused on being the best player I can each and every day for myself for this team and just trying to trying to get get the Cardinals back up you You, know you mentioned a 96 baby and so you're 25, you've got a long way to go in this game, but do you th- have you thought about what you want to do down the road at some point? It's interesting because there, I had a conversation with Chris Paul 
in preseason when we were doing a, a Suns game, and a lot of these guys now that have made the kind of money that Chris Paul's made and that you're on track to make, they're not talking about getting into being a coach or a manager, a general manager. They're talking about ownership. Mm. Like Chris's mentor isn't Michael Jordan. It's Bob Iger, who is the longtime CEO at Disney. When I would do Clipper games, Billy Crystal's on one side of our table and Bob Iger's on the other. Chris Paul, you had to go uh, dab up, you know, uh, is it dab or dab? Uh, <laughs> dab. Billy Crystal, because it's Billy Crystal. Yeah. But then he goes over to Bob Iger, like that's his mentor. Have you thought at all about down the road what you want to do? Yeah, I mean, after football. For me, it's kind of just uh, like investing into things, just slowly getting good cash, cash that no one really knows about, and just you know, people don't think that, or people just think I'm a football player. But I like to invest into things and hopefully get more money in my investments than I am playing this game. So, you know, we'll talk about that. You know, hopefully, ten years down the road. Yeah, you got you got plenty of time. <laughs> I'm just curious because, again, it it's shifted where used to be players wanted to be. They either want if they stayed in football or basketball, it was coaching, scouting. Now it's ownership because of the yeah. money that's available to players. You're about to be a father. How do you think that will change your life? Oh man, it's, it's going to be special for me. You know, um, having a little baby girl, so. Of course, a lot of my girl dad friends tell me that I'm going to be a softie and all that type of stuff, and you're going to be soft in football. But for me, I don't think I'm going to be soft in football. I'm going to want to go harder. But I'll definitely be soft for my little daughter, and that'll definitely be a special moment to see her, you know, see her born because I will be there for sure, no matter what. And the due date is? December 3rd. December 3rd. Is that game day off the top of my head? I'm trying to think. Nope. We play Chicago Bears on the 5th, I believe, and that will be in Chicago. So, you know, I've had that conversation with, you know, the ownership and uh, Mr. Bidwell and Steve and Cliff, and I, I just told them straight up, like, I, I got to be there for my daughter's born day, and I'm going to be there no matter what. So even when we're in Chicago, if I have to go back, I'm going to do it because my kids, my, my daughter will always be there long after the game of football and I definitely feel like it's going to be special for me my first blood child to mm -hmm. to be there for her to see me no matter what even if she doesn't remember I still want to be there I want to remember so that's awesome, that'll always dude. be good that's awesome man much respect on that your demeanor in talking with you and I've heard a lot of your interviews the first time you and I really sat down and chatted at length very different from your demeanor on the field when you step on the field what is going through your mind do you have to put yourself in a different state of consciousness almost uh, I mean I don't put myself it just you know it just comes out you know that that what should I say that different personality comes out when I get on that field I'm just excited it's party time like Brian Dawkins would say and you know I, I loved watching the Ed Reeds the Brian Dawkins the Ray Lewis's when they get on the field and um, it was definitely special and you know, for me, it just comes out. It's like I'm not trying to act no type of way. It just comes out when I get on the field. I'm excited, and I, and I want to help my team win the game. So, you know, during the game, it's all fun and games. After the game, I get back into my chill mood and probably very sore, get myself a nice glass of wine or something <laughs> and, and chill out for the night. All right, so what do you like? What's your vino of choice? You know, uh, I'm a after? Pinot guy. I like okay. Pinot Noirs. Okay. Um 
you know, calves sometimes with a steak, but yeah. I'm more of a smooth Pinot Noir guy. Just go right into the wine cellar at the house, get one out. And I get a, I got a good aerator too, you know. A lot of a lot of those aerators are, you know, you need a good one to have it more clear and taste better. Smart man, you yeah, got to figure yeah. it out. Yeah, you got to figure it yeah. out. I like that. I might be 25, but you know, I, I learned some things. That's good. That's good. <laughs> the Coravin. So if the Coravin, you don't have to open the bottle. You can stick the Coravin yep. and pour it, and then you can save the bottle. Yeah, for, yeah, exactly. You can, you can do that as well for sure. Uh, so you're you're very talkative. You've been great in this setting, and you're very talkative on the field. There's a time I understand when you're not talkative, and that's when you're doing sign language. Tell oh, yeah. me about your background with with ASL. I have a daughter who she could have done Spanish or American Sign Language, and she chose ASL, and she doesn't use it a lot, but it's really cool when she does because you see how comfortable it makes another person that they can have a relationship without speaking. Exactly. You know, my freshman year in high school, I took Spanish, and I just – I didn't really get a good grade on it. So I had to – my junior year of high school, I actually went to a community college to do ASL, and that's when I first started it, and – you know, at the time, I think I had a broken thumb, so I had to sign with my left hand. So that definitely made my left hand more like coordinated kind of in a sense. And, you know, going into college at the University of Washington, I took it there for two years as well. And it's definitely special because there are deaf people in this world. And, you know, a lot of hearing people can't communicate to them, whether it's it's only by text message or you know, maybe on social media, but in person, it's, you know, hard, you can't really communicate to them. So for me, anytime I see a deaf person, I try to talk to them and just say, hey, how are you? You know, introduce myself, my name. They say, how are you? Where do you learn sign language? I tell them, University of Washington. And it's great, good conversations. They smile hard. And, you know, that's definitely special for me. So, you know, I'll, I'll continue to understanding and if I'm ever losing and of course I still you know you still have your things to where you can go back on and and learn some things so yeah is there a specific example or particular story that sticks with you that is something that you'll remember for a long time about an interaction you had Uh, I mean one time I was with Chandler actually and we were you know taking our trips at the time in the off season and uh, we're at the airport and you know, we left our left our car in the airport, so we had to go walk to our car and at the airport. And I see a you know a deaf person sitting down signing on his cell phone, and I walk up, I go up to them because you know deaf people like that when a hearing person likes to go up and talk to them. So I go up to him, say, "Hey, you know, how are you? My name's Buddha." He's like, "Hey, how are you? My name's you know Ali," and then tells his friend tell him hello and you know I say nice to meet you and he smiles and it's great good conversation so that was definitely a special moment for me well, I gotta tell you man you, you're an impressive dude I uh, I've been such a big fan of you as a player but just hearing and I've known your story but hearing more about you and the type of person you are just your uh, compassion for people and you know how the story about how you want to be there for your daughter, uh, t- to be there for the birth no matter what, even if that means you end up missing a game. I mean, it's just – it's great. I think uh, when Cardinal fans and NFL fans and people, maybe if they aren't even football fans, hear this story, they're, they're going to walk away 
saying, man, that, that Buda Baker is a special dude. So really appreciate yeah. the time. I appreciate that for sure. Yeah, me too. And I appreciate everything you're saying. And yeah, like you said, first with my daughter, I got to be there. I love football. You know, I know I mean a lot to this team and, you know, they mean a lot to me as well. And I love these guys. And if that conversation has to happen, I'll have that conversation before the game, before we get there. But you know, hopefully, you know, we have that bye week before. Hopefully it happens a little bit before that so I can be there. But, yeah, like you said, no matter what, I got to see my, my my daughter be, you know, born. I got to see however many kids I have born. So They'll understand. Yeah, exactly. And if they don't, that's, that's their If they problem. don't, exactly, like you said. <laughs> my friend Bill Walton missed two of his kids' births. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, hey, you know. You got to be there. Yeah, exactly. For me, I, I just got to be there, 100%. Got to be there. All right. Appreciate you, Buddha. Yep, Thanks. appreciate you too. Man, how can you not be impressed listening to the heart of Buddha Baker? He loves football, family. He even loves strangers. His story about using sign language to engage the hearing impaired was absolutely inspirational. I mean, I've enjoyed watching Baker tremendously on the field the last few years, but after spending time with Buddha, I'm going to root for him even more to succeed. I love his leadership, too. He said, look, we're brothers, but if you're not doing your job, I'm going to walk up on you. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'll love you in the end, but I'm tired of being average. And he was very thoughtful talking about where the team needs to improve, but upset at the way the defense and how he's been portrayed in some circles. Part of Baker being undersized and not being a first-round draft pick when he thought he should have been continues to be motivation to prove everybody wrong. That's usually what makes a good player a great player, that drive to never be satisfied and to be the best. And Buddha certainly has that, and I can't wait to watch Baker in 2021 so that'll do it for episode two of the dave pash podcast i want to thank again our presenters BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the arizona cardinals and gila river hotels and casinos coming up next week the head coach of the arizona cardinals cliff kingsbury and espn nfl analyst mina kimes We have some great guests in the future expected to join the Dave Pash podcast. Two members of the ESPN Monday Night Football team, Steve Levy and Brian Greasy. The owner of the Arizona Cardinals, Michael Bidwill. A guy that went from being a player for the Arizona Cardinals to the president of an NFL team in less than a decade. Jason Wright from the Washington football team is expected to join us. As is actor James Roday from A Million Little Things and Psych and comedian Frank Caliendo. Ron Wolfley, of course, and Bill Walton, and many more. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Dave Pash Podcast.